So did you catch that episode of Ancient Aliens last night? They uh, started the new season. Pretty cool. They were talking about Antarctica. There was some really cool fo- like satellite photos now of Antarctica, and I'm like digging what's down there. I want an expedition to get put together. Like I could probably go to that Bigelow guy and get a grant and then go down there, like especially that, that crashed object or whatever it was, that skid, because there was like a whole area, and it came up, and then it's through the snow, and then you see this kind of, you know, uh, long, thin object. I don't know what the heck it is. It's, it's, it's rocket-like. But who knows what it is. But it crashed uh, pretty good. And you can't really dispute the satellite photos of showing stuff. I'm interested in those caves, too. The caves look really interesting. And they're saying there's whole sections that, you know, there's voids and everything under Antarctica's ice sheet. And it's totally like 72 degrees because of the volcanic action. I guess there's something like 90 volcanoes down there. And then they, they showed, like, we got all the bases and, you know, all the countries are set up in different areas and they're kind of assuming it's some kind of communication joint venture thing happening, which, okay. But the Nazi stuff, man, the Nazis, the Nazis down there, they went down there prior to World War II and set up a base. And then you had the Admiral Byrd stuff, right? Whole man, go into the Admiral Byrd. Admiral Byrd wrote in his diary, he got into a firefight with aliens, Come on, how cool is that? The dude got in a firefight with aliens back in like 1946 because they got a secret base down there. So I totally want to get an expedition together. I think I might have to kickstart or crowdfund it or something, but I'm I'm on board, fully on board. It's like there's a lot of the Bigfoot stuff. I don't think the Bigfoot hunting's going to pan out, man. I think the alien hunting's a better way to go. They're trickling this stuff out just like the Brookings Institute said to do. You know, they're like, we can't handle the truth. They totally went, you know, uh, what the heck? I'm thinking Tom Cruise, a few good men. They totally went a few good men on us. And they're like, you can't handle the truth. And um, so now they're starting to trick it. The only thing I'm not too sure about is that show afterwards, the investigative, the um, the Lul Elizondo thing with all his like government insiders. He was a counter intel guy. And I know all those departments have a counter intel division like Department of Energy and stuff because they're the ones. Department of Energy is the alien dudes, okay? And if you look, they have all that. So I kind of wonder, although he does have a bit of passion for it, like I saw this, you know, they're not letting me do what I wanted to do with it. So now I'm going to do it. Okay, you can almost buy that. But he had some good footage, like the jet footage and the Tic Tac thing. I mean, here you have like, you know, a decorated fighter pilot who goes and says, yeah, they sent me in to take a look at this thing over the water and it totally, you know, ate my lunch and he's, you know, flying, heading the squadron off the Nimitz. So they had some pretty decent footage of that stuff and who knows what it is because like they said, no control surfaces, no uh, any kind of like uh, output of engine, jet, nothing like that. There's no output. So it's, it's just crazy how that stuff flew the way it did when they don't have any visible sign of, like, you know, what we think of as jet motors and, and stuff like that. You're listening to the Everyday Sniper. And you got Frank at Sniper's Hide here. I got a whole bunch of stuff to talk about, but I'm going to stick to one subject. It, uh, I was able to finally get out and, uh, like I said, I did the training lessons and I did a bunch of stuff, so... I got some time behind the bolt action Valkyrie build that Mile High put together for me. 
And again, that's another left-hand gain twist. And on top of that, to kind of back that up, there was this conversation on Sniper's Hide going on. There was like this POF thing happening. Some guy had like a really old rifle and then decided I needed warranty work. And they're like, well, we won't go this way. We'll go that way. So there was this debate. So uh, Frank from uh, POF, he'll email me or text me all the time. And today he was sending me over like some images and video of his really light 308 stuff. He's got like these compact 308s that are like 6.3 pounds and, you know, a lot of uh, LE kind of application and things like that. So he would send me this thing comparing it to an MP5. And it was funny, the the MP5 was like 6'4 and change. And his 308 was like 6'3 and change. And he's like, which one would you rather have? I'm like, dude, it's an MP5. How can you argue? But take away the historical of an MP5. Yeah, that six pound 308 is not a bad deal. So going back to the Valkyrie. Had some time, was able to, I put a short video up, like a three-minute video on Sniper's Hide and on the Facebook page. And it's interesting because in the conversation with Frank, you know, we were talking about some other stuff. It it was like, hey, man, I'm really digging this Valkyrie thing. And he's like, yeah, but when Federals, you know, had that misfire with the 90-grain ammo, it tanked all the desire for the Valkyrie. Like the like it was really, you know, ramping up. It was gonna be in that same kind of, you know, highly talked about with the 6.5 Creedmoor. And then the Valkyrie comes and everybody's kind of excited for it. Well, that that misfire with the federal 90 grain ammo, it it just it, it dropped like a rock, he said. It, he said it totally tanked all sales and inquiry to that in that direction. But then you didn't have anybody talking about the 88s. And I've been using the 88s. And I know Federal spent a lot of time along with Hornaday. And they fixed that 90, uh, 90 grain load. So it's to me, it's working. It's, it's like doing what it's supposed to. It's got that really good barrel life. I mean, everybody I've talked to who has an excess of 5,000 rounds through a Valkyrie is still shooting that same barrel. And I've reached out to everybody I could to try to find out where they were with barrel life, and it's there. Now, the the rifle with the factory ammo and, and all that stuff and using the left-hand gain twist Bartland that, that they spun up, I'm looking at probably right around 3.8, a little bit better accuracy at 100 yards with it. Then I went and shot it at 5.50. I shot it at some other distances, just taking a look. I never chronographed it. Because I was going to go with the app and just kind of do the, you know, let the app give me a muzzle velocity. Ooh, excuse me. And it looks like to me I'm right at 2750. I put it in the Hornaday app as 2750 uh, and it's spot on. I put it in Trace Al at 2750. It's spot on. So I tweaked my two. Shooting, you know, again, shooting Hornaday ammo. Out of this rifle, it's it makes perfect sense to go to the Hornaday app. And we've talked about that at, at, at length. So I go out there and I'm using 3.1 mils to 550 yards. And the reason, the only reason I went to 550 is because I have a really kind of small, it's an 8.5 by 11 inch plate. So, you know, sub a minute on the wind, or no, I guess it would be uh, two minutes. So it would be a minute and a half or a minute and three quarters. It's about a minute and three quarter on the wind. And it's about just about two minutes on the elevation. 
but it's a decent sized plate at that distance. And so I just loaded up 12 rounds. My mag as I, everybody's asking me about mags and stuff. It's like, holy cow, I posted it. And they're still asking like the dumbest questions on the planet. Like, can you guys not watch the video or read the little things that I put in there? I, I use titles and I'll say what I'm doing, but they still have to ask. Like they need a personal invitation to, you know, to, to get that answer. It's like, I don't want to watch it. I want you to tell me it. And it's like, oh boy, give me a break, dude. So I go over and I'm shooting it at 550. I'm looking at 27. Me, it stacked them. I mean, I had Mirage. It was hot. And so I, 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 I saw the, I, I was on the water line, on the water line. I was floating up a little bit and then came back down, made sure I accounted for that as it kind of, especially I'm running the suppressor. I'm running the barrel. It was getting a little hot. And I started to drift north a little bit, then brought it back down. To me, it was still a half-minute gun on on steel. You know what I mean? I, I really didn't group it, group it hardcore for uh, that group, but I know I was sub-half-minute. And to me, that's fine. It's like, okay, I'm zeroed, I'm there, I'm good. I don't need to play around here anymore. Let's go down range. And that's what I did. I didn't take it out too far because I was working on the videos and doing the uh, APO rifle. I was shooting the APO at 11.25, getting some uh, pretty decent results with that. I did a video for the training, understanding your rifle setup. And it ended up being two parts because I filmed about 16 minutes of usable, actually a little more than that, but I filmed about 16 minutes of conversation. So I split it up into like a 10, 11 minute one and then another seven minute one and kind of put it together. So there's two parts with about 16 minutes of understanding your rifle setup. I take you from the back of the rifle all the way through the action and trigger scope to the front of the rifle and bipod and just kind of let you know the why. Why do you do this? Why do you set up that? Why are you doing these different things? And why did we choose the APO as this lower budget with the chassis and the whole thing? And part of it is going into that, you know, do you want a left-right setup? Do you want a neutral setup? You know, where do you want to go? Because we mentioned this before in some of the gaming and the competition. Those guys want more of a neutral setup for support side. But I've looked at it. It's such a limited... Uh, I got a lisp today. It's such a limited amount of support side shooting. If you practice it, even though you've set the gun up a little bit more to your right side, your strong side, you know, moving a cheek over or doing something with the, with the butt stock, I think you can get away with the five or ten rounds you're going to shoot in a match from a support side without an issue, especially when... We know the rifles in those contexts are doing so much more of the work that you can probably pop over there, get a little lighter on it, drop it on a bag, because most of those other sides for them are being shot off a game changer or Saracen, Warhorse, whatever the case may be. And it becomes easier on top of that. You see everybody and their brother like not doing a full-blown support side. They're doing that half-ass, I'm going to shoot it with my right hand and not with my left as if, you know what I mean? It's it's lame. They don't do an actual, they do this hybrid. You see a lot of these hybrid positions. But when I'm looking at this Valkyrie and I'm watching the videos and I'll, it's like such a light recoiling rifle, you got such a good you know barrel life out of it. I think you can hand load it, and, and I'm actually going to reach out 
to uh, somebody like McCourt. Uh, Andrew McCourt does a lot of these hand loads, and he's been texting me. He does a lot of my my hand loads. Like I'll figure out, okay, you know, this load works really good for me. Now I need 500 rounds of it. Andrew, make it for me because I don't have time to load 500 rounds. I'm I'm uh, like, here it is Saturday. One week from today, I'll be back in Alaska teaching a class. Uh, you know, so it's like, do I want to spend all that time reloading on top of everything else I'm doing? This, the videos, running the website, you know, new advertisers on board. I'm putting, uh, uh, what do you call it, um, banners up and all that other kind of stuff. Um, today, I'm going to Mike's uh, daughter's graduation party at 2 o'clock, which is like an hour from now. So, you know, it's it's... All these things are going on. Life's in my way, which is why you'll see me gravitate towards these rounds that have factory offerings. Okay. I think factory ammo today is fantastic. Federal, Hornaday, Burger, Lapua, all great stuff. I mean, even forget the prime, the Norma, Ruag problem. Ruag, Norma, all that is, is really just Swiss, Sweden's Lapua. Right, they're owned by that one company. It's just like Namo and Lapua being owned by part of their thing, and now Burger in with that. It's great ammo if you take the time to get it. And there's so many Wildcats that you know that our guys are you know 22 Creedmoor. Let's burn our barrel out in 1800 rounds. It's like ah, does everybody need to do that? If you're not a top 20 guy. Do you have to chase something to that nth degree? If you are a top 20 guy, you're getting some of your costs offset through sponsorship. And, you know, they're helping you with these initial outlays of cash. You, you know, you got to buy all this new stuff. You got to do all these things. Where do I go? And yeah, they got people helping them and they know what's going on. But for the average guy out there, think about this. If we took a, the, the top I don't know. Let's go 15%. We can go 20, but top 15, 20% of the guys shooting these matches, they're in another league compared to the other 80%. I'm trying to speak to the 80, not the 20. And that's kind of lost sometimes in translation because I see those 80s coming on Facebook and throwing digs out. And it's like, all right, dude. Yeah, I'm not talking to you. You know, you're getting this handed to you. You're getting extra barrel. You got your action. You know, for you, your outlay might be a set of dies, right? They're, but you're, you're, you're kind of like accumulating uh, means where not everybody has that. Not everybody wants to invest that time, but they still want to go out once or twice a year nationally and shoot a match. And they may be going out monthly in season to shoot local matches. I think that's where the Valkyrie, you know, really shines for somebody. And again, I've mentioned this a dozen times that your kids, your wife, your girlfriend who wants to get in this and participate with you, it's a lower cost way of getting them into the game. You know, they're going to be competitive within that back 80% of people, especially because, like, you know, I had a no-win day pretty much, and I I wish I – I'm looking at that ammo from up north, that choice ammo, and it's like, damn, I should have brought it with me because there was no wind and I blew it, uh, didn't have it in the car. But, um, you know, you're holding center, holding center into that six, 800-yard zone on a day like today – 
but then all they have to, you know, if you can make your money 600 yards and in on some of these matches and really don't miss, don't have the recoil throw you around, really light shooting, you could take your time and, and, and dope the wind and do what you have to at distance. And it's just knowing after, and, and it will, will depend on conditions and what your wind actually is, but after 600 yards, start looking at this round like a 168. It's that easy. Okay, 308, 168. If I look at the wind drift for that, it's going to match the Valkyrie at those farther distances. But inside, it's point and shoot. And it's stacking. I shot pretty quick. I think uh, I think I shot the 12 rounds in like 90 seconds. I, I'm pretty sure it was like the, 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 the one video that was just me starting and me ending the shots. It was like 90 seconds for 12 rounds. Okay, cool. That's typical. They stacked them in there on this smaller plate, which would be typical for a PRS type event. I did it at 550, which, like I said, that's where I had that smaller plate. But at the same time, it's your money zone. You know, that six and in is money for these type of matches, especially in the southeast. Yeah, out west, it's going to be different. But you look at the, the out west stuff. They're doing 6.5 PRC. They're doing that little heavier stuff if they can get away with it because the winds tend to be more. Wind is everything. And so that's why, you know, it, it's, it's subjective in a lot of ways. But I'm coming at it from the point of cheap factory ammo, long barrel life, and good repeatable results without a lot of effort. And, and that's where we are with it. But I don't know. I'm, I'm in the minority right now. I get it. It was funny. Uh, I saw somebody posted, you know, and I mentioned this with Brantley, you know, winning the, the event with the uh, Hornet AA tips. And then they're slamming on the Valkyrie because they got to make themselves feel better. A bunch of tools. And, the, you know, they were throwing digs at me that, you know, oh, maybe because PRS matches, we don't shoot it at a mile. And it's like, dude, Adam, Brian, Mike, all won locally with it. With the ARs, not even a bolt gun. They want it with ARs. So I think it's viable. I think it's viable without a lot of money. I think it's viable with a small learning curve, okay? It's cheap. You know what I mean? That's a huge, and, and we're getting benefits. But the fact is, it's not garnering any attention because of that misfire on that one kind of ammo. And that was what it was kind of introduced with. You know what I mean? It, it was the first thing out there, and it wasn't working to the advertised specs. And it just goes to show you how easy something can be, um, you know, basically thumb, you know, put, put under thumb with one issue. The Hornaday 88s are great, but the 90 suffered. And so now you, you it's just kind of me out there talking about it. But... I'm enjoying it. It's nice on my shoulder. Watch the video. It's two minutes or so. Uh, I put a piece of the um, horn, uh, not the the a APO behind it. It's funny. I, I was shooting the APO, and um, so I get that. I got that one hole and chickened out and shot four shot group, and I sent it over to Ashbury. I'm like, oh, you know, because I I messed with it a little bit and got it all set up, and then they sent me a picture back. And it was like Jeremiah, the guy who's doing the test targets, had a, a better five-round group than I shot with the rifle. He's like, Jeremiah didn't chicken out. 2111s aren't scared, you know? And and so um, 
it, it was it was pretty funny to go back and forth with them. But a bunch of them shipped. Uh, guys are getting their APOs are out there. They're they're starting to um, ship, and that's a good thing. And I I really think you guys are gonna like it. It's a good training rifle. It's a good rifle to learn on. And you know I may I may take some of some of that and and do one in a Valkyrie to kind of carry around and have out there because it is cheap easy ammo. You know you spend uh fifty cents around. You can get somebody the seventy five grain stuff and train them up, or the eighty eights are gonna be better at distance. If I was like the Alaska crew. It would totally be like I could shoot the Valkyrie on that range all day because it's got like a two, three mile an hour wind on an, uh, almost all the time. And so to me, that location is ripe for that kind of caliber. And I know they sell it all over the place in those big box. Uh, Wasilla's got it in Sportsman's Warehouse there. Uh, downtown Anchorage has it in the ammo place. I can't think of what it is, like Arctic Ammo. Those guys are carrying it. So I can walk into these remote, out of the, you know, off the beaten path places and find it. it eight bucks a box. Keep the brass, reload it. You know, you got uh, Nosler has those 77 grain RDFs now. You can get some speed out of them. It seems to me, and I have to look, I'm at 2750 right now, but it seems to me, and, and here's that kind of little tip out there for guys who are looking to do competition that your your normal caliber six fives two sixties and those things it's like twenty eight fifty is the sweet spot when you're talking that one thirty six to one forty three zone you know then when you get to the six millimeters they're at like twenty nine um fifty that's like the sweet spot for them and. You know, you can push them more, but then your barrel life starts going down big time. Now, I don't know what George's uh, GT is going to be like barrel life-wise. It's hard to say because George always says like 3,000 rounds, 3,000 rounds, and you know, but he doesn't tell you he set the barrel back or something. And um, so it, it's pretty good. I just got a note, too, from Emil Praslik. Uh, Lapu is going to be sending me over some of their loaded six Creedmoor ammo. They got two loads, uh, a light one and a heavy. So uh, Monday, I'll be getting that shipped out to me. So when I get home from the next Alaska trip, I'll have that uh, six millimeter Creedmoor. I'll be able to use that uh, Kadex uh, Sheepdog, which is really, really nice. And that's six Creed. So I'll take that out. I got to get my my gap one fixed. I broke the bolt stop pin. So my bolt stop came off and in the pins a screw and I got to kind of get it drilled out and put a, a solid pin in and fix that. I just never did it. But I broke that thing at like five, six hundred rounds through the gun. And just I was in a, a, a match locally here with it. Got to like the fourth or fifth stage of the day. And I went to run the bolt and the bolt came right out of my in my hand. And I was like, oh, shit. So I busted that and lost it out there. I had gotten the replacement parts from George when it happened. But I just never brought it over to Mile High to have him fix it. They got to put it on the mill. They got to drill that piece out and then pop in a bigger pin and take care of it but uh you know all that kind of stuff happens and and you know this is this is some of those things that i talk about and i look at it's like yeah i broke that yeah i did that so let's try to go in a direction where it doesn't happen to you because it's okay if it happens to me i don't care you know it makes it might might look a little ugly you know publicly but it's a learning experience and it's a way to 
put that in, 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 you know, present it to you guys and say, Hey, look, learn from this mistake. You know, that that's kind of where I'm at with it. But I, I don't know. I just, it's, it's pretty crazy that everybody just wants to like, you know, go on this. No, it's like, you know, they'll pick their favorite. Like everybody's a tip, a tip, a tip. Cause they're sponsored by Hornaday. You know, I get that. And, and, but the other side of the coin is nobody likes the price. But then you go to the Valkyrie, which doesn't have the price, and those same people are shooting it down big time. You know, they they want to spend your money, and I kind of go the opposite. Yeah, do I do I think the A tip has value? Absolutely, I think it's great. But you know, does somebody want to invest that kind of money into what they're doing, especially if they're not out there competing? You know, if you're just shooting for yourself, so. I just find it weird the fact that the Hornaday guys are, are really being down on the Valkyrie when Hornaday's doing that 88 and they're probably doing, I've been told they're doing Federals too, you know, but who knows. It's like they've invested in it, but their team guys are being douchebags about it. And it's like, uh, I don't know, man. And I shouldn't say it's their team guys. It's actually people affiliated to the Hornaday team people. You know, it's not necessarily... They're, they're really good at letting the minions speak for them. You know, they'll unleash the minions out there, and those guys will, will find the threads and go in and, and sprinkle some hate. And then the other guys will pro the other stuff, and then those guys will come back over and bump them up, bump them up, and keep them trending. You know, so they kind of have this really good game going on where it's like, Sprinkle hate here, promote there. Sprinkle hate here, promote there. And it does artificially suppress what could be a really positive trajectory for something like the Valkyrie, which, like I said, I think it has merit in that way. It's just like if you go to that GT, the 6mm GT, right? Go back to my podcast. Go back to the early, early ones. I've always said the 6547 while I understand it was looking to fix the um, loading long problem on the 260, the Creedmoor solved that. And then, so to me, the 47, it, it, it's too slow. I have one. I got my uh, my Milesing Fields 6547. And the factory ammo is really slow, like incredibly slow. It's super accurate, incredibly slow. But then the guys are trying to load it hard, and they figure, well, I got Lapua Brass. I got that small primer. I got all these pros but they're still kind of and they do well don't get me wrong because it's accurate but to me that caliber or that brass shines in the 647 okay if i was going to go in a direction now i would take it and rebarrel that thing to a 647 and then load a 6547 neck it down and go to 647 to me that's where it shines that size case Okay. Well, the GT is kind of based off that case. So it just makes sense. It's like, okay, that's a natural progression. And and they're going in that way. So yeah, you can go the GT and I, you know, if I I may go that way to see what happens if it gets picked up. But it's it's to me 647, 6547, right? Boom boom boom. You got it and and that's where that stuff shines. But that's a different level. In I don't know. I, I just find it confusing some of the some of the the, the 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 little grains and sprinkles of hate that I see out there on some of these other things. 
And and don't get me wrong, I do it too. I mean, you can point to it and say, well, you know, you you poison up the savage thing. Yeah, but if savage like, and I was thinking about this today because I saw a guy make a post on it. I was like, I'm I'm analyzing what I said. Okay, what what am I what am I saying when I talk about you know the problems we see with that rifle system? It's like okay, well. We saw the loose rails on more than one. We we see some. It's like take it take it apart, clean it up. And I mentioned this with the RPR. You know, now that the mass production is so big and long, take it apart, clean it up, and put it back together with some Loctite. Make sure it's done right and torqued down, and you'll have a good rifle system. No negative, right? But what's always been Savage's problem? Stock. Right. They've always had an issue with the stocks. So I'm looking at that one we had in the class and I'm thinking about what Mark and I were talking about. And yeah, we laugh. It's like, ha ha ha. You got friggin' scalped. And my problem really is just the stocks. So it's like, OK, well, why can't they fix that stock? Why have they not learned from that big time Tupperware stock with the 10 FP then they, you know, they they did that Axis stock, which was a rattle trap. It's like, why don't, and then now these other stocks, and they're OEMing them from like MDT and stuff. Why are you doing those little bitty guys with no forearms and no ability to get the bipod out there? You're doing an AR backside. And I know you want to stay lower cost, but man, I mean, think about, the why think about precision rifle think about the interaction you put in with the stock and then sit back and objectively look what has been consistently going back to 2000 when we did the ghost dancer project with the savage 10 fp what's the first thing we did we went to mcmillan and had him do the a5 very first a5 we changed the stock I'm like, okay, we did the stock. Now, at the time, we did trigger because they used to make different triggers you can get. And and nobody really does the great aftermarket triggers that I see as much, or at least they're not talked about. For all I know, Timney's doing every bit of a great trigger form. You know, I just don't pay attention to it as much. But all you ever see show up are the Accu triggers. And I don't have a problem with the Accu trigger because in my mind, you use that internal safety, that, that insert, as... You, you know, your your point of index to marry to the trigger. Take up the slack on that safety, and as soon as you touch the wall of the main trigger shoe, that's your point of index. You're good to go right there. Now, you got your, your, your trigger is set, your finger, your hand, right? Then you could do that break, and you're good, you know, but you just don't want to drive through it. You don't want to take up that safety and the trigger all in one motion. You want to marry up to it a little bit. So... I'm just, you know, I'm kind of like replaying some of this stuff in my head. Drink, Jim. And if he heard it. So they, there's a drinking game. If you hear fuzz itching, that you're supposed to have a drink. Do a shot. It's after one. So you can have a shot. Um, anyway, so I'm thinking about, like, where is my problem? Yeah, we've seen the rails come undone. We've seen some different things happening. And... You know, mechanically, that could be, you know, could have been caught at the factory. But really, overall, it's just the stock. The barreled actions, we don't see that big issues. And guys love their savages for their money. You know what I mean? But that goes back to that low cost. Why do they have such a great following? The money. Where do we see with the Valkyrie? Okay, that should be the money. 
And instead, it's it's kind of like, you know, they want to push you toward the more expensive. And don't get me wrong, man. I'm a Warner Tool fan. I'm a Cutting Edge fan. I really think we should be running solids, you know, copper solids on a lot more consistent basis. I feel there should be factory offerings with solids in it, like the 121s or, you know, any of that stuff. I To me, that would really turn the industry on its head to see solids perform how they should, you know, in a mass. If more people were, uh, um, uh, the word I'm looking for, um, exposed to the solids, more people would get behind them because they really are that good. You know what I mean? They really do make a difference. But because they're expensive, because they all have to be hand-loaded, you don't see as many people go that way because by the time they figured out seating depth and accuracy and what node do I need to go in and all these other things, they've, they've gone through so many of them at such a high cost, it becomes counterintuitive for guys. And that's where you'll see the Hornaday A-tip bridge that gap, right? Because it's not quite solid money, but you're trying to get solid performance, by changing the tips out in, uh, you know, the aluminum tip versus a polymer. You're trying to get that, that better consistency, that, that, you know, the same thing, why they hand turn a solid. I, and this is where I think it's a positive step in bullet design technology. We're just not changing bullets enough. And we see such great results at the ELR distances. That's religious with solids, you know, but those guys are used to spending five, seven, nine, ten dollars a round. Okay, we're not. We don't want to spend five dollars a round for a short action caliber. If you can get a solid down where the loaded ammo is a buck fifty, yeah, man, you probably got something there, you know, and in I, I really do think that's that's where everybody's trying to chase anyway. They're all looking for that greatest BC that you can push fast. Well, you push solids harder. You push solids faster, which ramps the BC up on something that's already bigger because it's solid and heavier. And even when it's not solid and heavier, heavier, it's still solid and heavier for its size and does better. Like the 121s, you know what I mean? So to me, that's where we really should be putting a heavier emphasis on is the focus on that bullet tech. Bring that up to the next level. And and I do. I I I agree what Hornaday and all that's doing. I just wish those guys who are promoting it would would chill on some of the cheaper stuff. You know what I mean? It it doesn't always have to be about the most expensive. Cause I know there's 80% of you out there listening right now that never want to go down that 20% rabbit hole. You you, you just have, you know, you got two doors, man. You, you, you got the high-end door and then you got the average door. And and we haven't created the, the middle grounds that are consistent yet. You know, the middle ground kind of starts up and falls away, starts up and falls away. So it's either way too much money or, you know, back down to the average cost. And the average cost does an average job unless you do your part. But the big money we know works great. Just how many people want to invest in that time and effort to reload it, spend that kind of money, 
and 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 have to basically say, well, hundred rounds of these at you know almost two bucks a piece kind of thing, and I'm going to use fifty or more for my load development. Ah, man, that's that's like too much effort, too much money for what I'm going to do. But I mean, that's the reality of it. So I'd like to see something, if not closer to a Hornaday A tip. That, that bridges that solid gap in these other calibers and just see how well in a loaded round, okay? And and I know they are doing that, and that's a great thing. But, again, it's that price point. You know, who? I, that's all I read on Sniper's Hide was people bitching about the cost. And, you know, it, it, it's valid. It's a valid complaint, which is why I wish Savage would talk to somebody and, and, and nail down stocks that are meant to work and not that are just automatically throw away to save the, the money. I'd rather see, a, a, you know, $300 added to the overall cost of a Savage, $350 would a, would a better stock than I would to see it where it is today when the stock's completely unusable, you know, and, and it, it's, it's creating a conflict for people. But that's where, I, like I said, a little bit of reflectation, if that's even a word, um, on, on some of these past little rants that I'm doing and where I'm actually putting my, you know, I'm not getting into that kind of detail to say, oh, you know, yeah, we don't, you know, oh, God, another savage showed up. But, yeah, it's not that. It's the stock. Pull that out, put it in. And I said that to that guy in the line. You know, we yanked that rifle from him. Boom, hitting shit. We yanked that rifle from him, gave him the APO, and said, hey, shoot this. And, you know, the results spoke for themselves. But at the same time, it's like, dude, that barreled action's salvageable. Take that barreled action out and fix the stock. Because the AR back, you know, with a, with a, with a CTR, or a, I think he had a Luthar AR. And, you know, I don't, so a lot of people like the Luthar ARs. I find them a little too bouncy and movable. You know, I get it. It's a lower cost. The Howard does the Luth AR. And I said that to them. You know, I, I find that one a little bit bouncy. But even look at Howard. Okay, Howard kind of went that same savage route. But then they paired more and more with the better MDTs. They brought the costs down. I mean, you could do the KRG Bravo. To me, that's like probably the best stock you can get for the least amount of money. If you want to go in a direction, and, and the Patriot did that, Patriot Valley, the um, Hancock, right? The, how do you spend your money effectively? What's the best bang for my buck in an entry-level stock? KRG Bravo. You know, to me, that solves a ton of problems, and KRG supports a lot of um, uh, rifle systems, you know, Tikas and different ones. Well, XLR is pretty similar too. You can go in XLR Envy and XLR isn't, you know, over expensive. So you have them and MDT is the same as well. There's MTTs, the Oryx, right? You got all these different ones from these guys. There are lower cost stocks that throw, I mean, if you look at the AAC or the ACC, in the different systems and even the envy and stuff, how long is their four ends to get that bipod out there, to get on the bag? How far are they pushing that four end in a competition setting versus these other ones that are bringing the four end, you know, shorter? And, you know, if you're going to have a four end that short, you're like talking 16 inch rifle barrel. 
because that's how short that friggin' forend is only like, you know, eight inches long of that. And so that's where that falls down in my mind, where if you changed it out, put it in an MTT, put it in an XLR Envy, put it in a KRG Bravo, I think you'll see much better results across the board without having to go the full-blown build and bed kind of direction, right? All righty, guys. Well, there's there are definitely some questions. I'll let you guys ask me some more questions, and I'll do a bigger one. There was a whole bunch of uh, one guy. I don't know. There was like a uh, I don't know if it was the Alaskan Ryan or somebody else. Somebody was asking me like three four questions in a row, and I know some more came in today. But I'm gonna I'm gonna hit them up on another one. I just wanted to get this out for you uh, before I head over to Mike's and see what his new Traeger grills doing. He got a Traeger for his uh, birthday Thursday, so it's Mike's birthday and it's graduation. So I get to go out and go see what's going on over there. All ready to hit the road in a bit. All righty, guys. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of the Everyday Sniper. I really appreciate it. Thanks for commenting in the apps. It's going to be interesting what iTunes does, right? They're going to be announcing this week when they do that WWDC thing for Apple. They're going to be um, like killing iTunes, and they're supposed to be separate apps for the podcasts and everything else, desktop as well as. So you should be able to be uh, click on your link on your desktop pretty soon if you're an Apple guy like I am and go right to the Everyday Sniper podcast in iTunes or using the Podbean app. Um, oh, I'm so bummed, man. My, with that whole, I must have got a spike, although a lot of my stuff, I have a pretty good battery backup. My battery backup can power my system for like two hours. And... It's weird because I had the problem with the computer and that memory chip dying, but almost about the same time, and it was plugged in a completely different system, I had my desktop radio. I have a a Tivoli that a buddy of mine, uh, T-Bone, back in Connecticut got me when I first moved out here, and it was a satellite AM, FM radio that I kept on my desk so I could just put it to my Sirius satellite. And it might have been lightning or something here with the house, because I have an external antenna right out the window uh, on the roof up there for good signal. But it stopped working. And it was like it was like a signal problem. And, and I don't know if I mentioned before, I'm sure I did, the squirrels like eating my wire. So the squirrels cut through across this corner of our house. So it's like a little highway form. And they'll chew up my damn wires. And so I kind of fixed it so they left it alone. Well, then if I'd come in and turn on the radio and I didn't have a signal, I'd have to look and say, well, wait a minute, my wire chewed up. Nope, wire wasn't chewed, it was all good. But it would do this like, bah, bah. it would make this really loud, weird noise and then go into like no signal mode. So then I had one of my other old antennas, like a portable one that you would just kind of hang out. I brought the radio outside yesterday, plugged it in, put that up, tried to re- reconnect the signal and, and I got nothing, and I'm like, damn, I wonder, this thing got zapped, but I almost wonder if it came through the antenna because the AM, FM works, but the satellite doesn't. So now I got to get a new kind of satellite radio. I, don't, I, I play it through the computer, but I, did, I always liked having it outside of the computer. So when I'm doing a computer thing, I'm not constantly streaming, um, you know, music through it in case I got to use, like, the end. I mean, we got crazy 400 megabyte internet or something i don't know what it is it's like 480 or 450 we got like some juiced up system but it's still between the tvs downloading stuff and then the computer playing and then i'm doing video and got to upload and download and all that other crap 
It's like, that's quite a bit. But, um, alrighty, guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being part. Don't forget to comment. And uh, you guys have a good one.